Um, hey, you're here just kind of like jumping on board uh, halfway through part, like, a, like this sermon series. It's called How to Survive a Shipwreck. And basically, it, all it is is it's an extension of Easter. It's, uh, we're just continuing with this idea of, of grappling with if Jesus really did come out of the tomb alive, if the tomb is empty, then what are the implications of that? And basically, you know, kind of where we've landed for the past couple weeks is that um, if, if the resurrection really is true, if Easter really did happen, then that means essentially that no shipwreck can sink you, uh, no matter what happens, no matter what storm that comes. Um, and we said several weeks ago that sometimes even we've built ships and we, uh, and we thought that those are going to be the things that save us, but sometimes shipwrecks can actually be a blessing in disguise because sometimes we're left with um, just ourselves and we learned that the ship that we were building wasn't the ship that we should have been building along or all along in the first place and so some in some ways shipwrecks can come and, and they can uh, they can purify us they can refine us and Christians through the centuries have been known for for being able to withstand suffering and pain because really because of this beautiful truth because of Easter because of the resurrection because of what Jesus has done for us so today um, we're you know we're diving in and for this week and next week we're gonna sort of uh, unpack something that's that I feel out of my depth to uh, to unpack so I apologize I mean I've been working really hard on this and just thinking and man I so many things we could say, um, but, but here's the direction I want to take us. If you could put that next f- phrase up there, is uh, the resurrection opens the door for us to understand what heaven is all about. Um, we're going to take this week and next week and talk and unpack the heaven. What's this idea of, of heaven? Um, and I'm excited. It's one of the great hopes that we have, and because of the resurrection. Um, because I'm t- going to talk about heaven, I'm, I've, you can't talk about heaven without talking a little bit about hell, Okay. So, um, no controversy here, folks, you know? <laughs> I say hell, and I think the room got really silent. Um, but I, listen, I, I think you'll be surprised. I, I know, especially if you're visiting or if you brought a friend right now, you're like, oh, no. Because, <laughs> like, the two things you hope the pastor doesn't talk about when you bring a friend is hell and money, you know? And, and so I was like, oh, no, he's going to talk about it. But listen, listen. I think you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And, and really, with we all just need to come humbly to the scriptures and come humbly because our ideas of heaven and hell have been, have been really less, less shaped by scripture and much more shaped by popular culture, by movies, by television shows. Um, you know, we've, we've just, our ideas of those things have really been shaped by those things. And so I think we're surprised when we go to the scriptures and we see what it actually says about those things. So you might be pleasantly surprised. You might think you know what what you believe about it, and maybe these next two weeks will kind of change that around a little bit. Or maybe you're here and you're skeptical of the whole Christianity thing, and you've, you know, thought that Christians believe, you know, this, and maybe what we'll do these next two weeks is deconstruct that just a little bit in a helpful way for you, so that you're like, oh, Christians don't actually believe that at all. I've been sort of pushing off on something that isn't even a part of what the scripture teaches, and so, you know, I hope we can get there. Um, but no doubt, you know, we've, we've been influenced by lots of different things. Like, we got to talk about these people, all right? <laughs> Um, because because uh, since the Renaissance, in fact, I think this next picture, a much more famous picture of, uh, of, you know, the cherub. You know, when people, when people uh, picture heaven, a lot of times what people picture is like floating babies with wings. And, you know, and we, we have, you know, with this picture of pearly gates and usually there's clouds involved. And, you know, I, I don't know about you. I was probably less shaped by these and more shaped by, by this, by the, by the Far Side comics. I, 
But, you know, there's so many different far side comics, you know, this, and oh wait, go back, go back for a second, because, you know, this is what sometimes people assume about heaven. It's like, man, it's for eternity, and it's going to be this, like, just one long worship sesh, you know, just like up on a cloud somewhere, and it's like, it's going to, I feel like I'm going to get bored, and so this guy's like, I wish I brought a magazine, you know? Uh, then the next one is, is obviously like, welcome to heaven, here's your harp, welcome to hell, here's your accordion, which, by the way... <laughs> Which, by the way, you know, this picture right here, you know, there's like this demon, he's got, you know, horns, and then there's fire, and it's cavernous, it's obviously underground. You know, we just, we just tend to think in those terms. I can't even remember what the next one is, um, but, uh, oh yeah, this guy. Um, they say, you know, we're just not reaching that guy. He's whistling, having a good time. Um, are there any more? I think I'm, I've, okay, good, that was it. Uh, we've been shaped by these things. So what does scripture say? Um, that's what I want to get to. And we don't have time to get to all the passages. We just got to kind of take big, broad strokes. And it might kind of spawn even more questions. Good, good. It might even spawn some like, hey, I need to do some study of my own. Good. It might even spawn like, hey, I need to invite like, you know, the smartest person I know out to coffee and just, just ask them questions about this. Good. I hope it, you know, not all of our questions are going to get answered. And certainly our questions, all our questions don't get answered within the scriptures about heaven and hell. What's all that about? I mean, it's, it's left in, in a lot of places. We, we wish we, we were told more, but we're just not. And so it leaves us in a place where, where we have to investigate and ask questions and dialogue, which is good. Uh, but here's what I do want to do. I do want to peek into heaven through the door of the open tomb. Through the resurrection. we got to look through the resurrection. And if we do that, we can really learn a lot about heaven. Because when the Bible talks about heaven, it really it doesn't really talk about heaven in terms of, you know, floating babies and, and clouds. And, you know, and it, doesn't, it doesn't give us necessarily all those details. But when the Bible is referring to heaven, it most often refers to it in t- using the language of new creation. New creation. That, that God is going to make all things new again and that things are going to be restored and 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 beautified and made even made made better um that the 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 picture of of that we get from scripture and this might surprise you because maybe you were taught this but the picture isn't that this world gets completely just burned up you know crumbled up kicked away and that god like makes just something like brand new that's not physical that's like up in like a you know a spiritual world so to speak but the biblical vision of what happens with heaven is that, is that God's going to like use this world and there's going to be like something going on with our bodies where we, where we like still have bodies, but they're, but they're like new bodies. And some of you who are like not around church at all, you're like, right now you're like, what do they, these people believe? But l- let me unpack it for you because this hope that we have, and it, and it starts with the resurrection. It's such a beautiful, beautiful hope. Um, but first, um, you know, why does it matter? Why, why does it really matter that we're talking about this? Um, did you guys know that we got to, uh, that scientists have captured a picture of a black hole? Have, did you see that in the news? It's so cool, right? Um, that we finally have this picture of a black hole. And for, you know, for some of us, it's like, it's a little bit like talking about heaven. It's like, whoa, that's really cool, but that doesn't really like impact my tomorrow. You know, like that doesn't really, like what, what, how does that impact me right now? But, you know, we, we, we could say like, no, 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 of course what you, you know, what you do in this life determines your, your eternity. And that is, and that's, tr- that's true. The Bible speaks to that for sure. 
But we also, it's, it's even more than that. It's even, it's even more than that, is what you believe about eternity will greatly impact how you live now. Because what you believe about whether there's, there's life after death, it, it impacts. It impacts what happens. And philosophers, philosophers have like wrestled with this. And so just, just can we go into like philosophy class just for five minutes? Can I take you there? Um, to just like let's tease out why, like why it matters to believe that this life isn't all there is and that there's something on the other side of this life. And there's a lot of good reasons uh, why. First is this, is if, is if, if this life is all that there is, then death becomes our greatest adversary. If this life is all there is, then death becomes our, our, great, our great threat. It's a little bit like when I was a kid, and I, would, uh, I can't remember what night it was, but Animal Kingdom was, was on, and, uh, and that was like the show that I got to watch right before bed, and I dreaded that moment when the final credits started and the music started for, uh, for, for Animal Kingdom. I dreaded that moment because you know what it meant? bedtime right and so you're just like you enjoying the show but you're dreading the credits you're dreading that moment when the song starts because you're like oh because that's when that means I gotta go and if this life is all there is then then death becomes the adversary and then what we do is we spend our lives trying to avoid it we try to ignore it we try to cheat it we try to run away run away from it and what ends up happening is that turns us into it turns us into animals. It turns us. It turns on these like survival instincts where uh, where you know I don't want to die, and so I have to make sure that I can live for as long as possible, and make sure that I li- outlive other other people, especially people who aren't in my particular group or family. And so it causes us to like look down our noses at others, and like I'm trying to survive, and you know it's the survival of the fittest sort of like take us down to our to you know some like. This, uh, this, this, it turns us into animals to believe that this life is all there is. Uh, Bruce Willis probably teaches us a lot about this. Um, because if you think about every Die Hard movie, here's the, here's, the, uh, here's the plot of every Die Hard movie. What's Bruce Willis trying to do? He's trying to, he's trying to outlast death. He's trying to not die hard. Okay, And then he's spending, he's spending the whole movie trying to get everyone else to die hard. That's what he's doing. It works both ways. And essentially, if this life is all that there is, then those are our options. Those are our two options, is I got to live and hopefully outlive everybody else. Here's another reason, is if this life is all that there is, then all you have is now. All you have is now. Now, there's a lot of songs about that. You know, there's a lot of movies about like, you know, oh, we just, this is your moment. And, you know, baby, you're a firework, you know, and. You just got to, this is the time that you have, so you got to let your colors burst, you know, because this is just your time. And, you know, we can get sentimental about that. Oh, that makes sense. But if you think about it, if you get kind of underneath that idea, then really it causes a lot of problems. Because if, if uh, you know, if, if, now is all you, if now is all you have, then you, that means that you have to try to get everything that you're going to get now. And it means that uh, it's going to lead to a bunch of different problems. It means that you're going to have to get all your pleasure now because this is my chance. And it's going to be really hard to deny yourself. It's going to be really hard to say no to some things because this is my moment. This is my chance to get as much pleasure and to avoid as much pain as possible. And that causes us to make really foolish decisions. In fact, if you were to think back in your life and think about a moments where you've made some of the most foolish decisions that you've made, you were in a moment where you were faced with, do I, do I say yes to this particular thing that I want right now? Or should I say no to this thing right now because it's going to enable me to make a better yes later? 
But many of it, in those moments, we, you know, we said, ah, no, now. And that's caused a lot of pain and hurt and frustration in our lives. If, there, if this life is all there is, then that means that you, you can't hold things loosely. Because you have to try to squeeze, uh, you have to try to maximize everything in this life to try to, to try to fill whatever that thing is in you. And so you end up putting too much pressure on things in this life. You put too much pressure on your house to make you feel safe and comfortable. You put too much pressure on your spouse to make you feel like that you're somebody. You put too much pressure on, on if I can just get married and not be single anymore, then I'll be, then I'll be fine. You know, just insert, insert whatever it is. You put too much pressure on it. You hold too tightly to it. And then in the end, you sort of, we tend to destroy these things that weren't made to satisfy us in this life. They're just made to be tastes and foretastes of what we get to experience later. Um, but if heaven is real, here's what's cool. If, if, there, if there is life after death, if heaven is real, then what's so cool is you don't have to say yes to everything because you know that there's a greater yes to come. That you can actually say no to some things because you know you aren't saying no to the best things. Isn't that cool? That uh, if, if that's true, then your no's in this life, your self-denial can actually be resounding, beautiful, life-giving yeses. It's like saying, saying no to Little Caesars because you know you get to say yes to Mozzie's, right? Or it's like saying no to, you know, to, to Domino's because you get to say yes to Pizza More, right? I mean, it's like you, you say no so you can give a bigger yes um, if heaven is real. And then here's one that I like to think about. It's kind of challenging to think about, but... Um, if this life is all that there is, then getting justice is a problem. Justice becomes a problem. Because if this life is all that we have, then that means we just have this life to, to, to get justice. And unfortunately, I was going to say many people, but I, I think it would be most people, most people, most humans who have ever lived, if that's the truth, will never, they never get, they'll never get justice. They'll never get justice in this life. I think about what happened um, in, in Las Vegas with, when the shooter from the high rise shot a bunch of people in Vegas. Remember that? I, don't, I can't remember how many, people, how many people he killed, but he killed those people. It was his plan all along. And then the, the, you know, they, were, they zeroed in on where he was, and in his final, final moments, he turned the gun on himself and took his own life. And, you know, in that moment, it's like, you know, he, I, I, I don't know what was going through his head, but, you know, perhaps, perhaps it was the thought of, I won. I won. I got away with it. I don't have to, I don't have to face justice because I'm just going to take my own life. Now, we could say, oh, but he took his own life and that's, and that's justice. Oh, no, it's not. All the people he killed, the families, the families that were devastated, the, the, the children that were impacted, the, their children's children that are going to be just be impacted by what he did. No, that's not justice. So do, does, do we not get justice? And so if there is no life after this life, then, then where is justice? How do we get that? And here's how often we as human beings get it. If, we, if you believe that there's no life after this life, and, if you, and if, imagine, that you're in a, imagine that you're in a village and somebody comes in and they, they come in and they, they kill people in your village, they rape people in your village, and they leave you for dead. What, what, do, you, what do you ache for? What do you want for? You want justice. You want vengeance. 
And so if, if you believe that there's no sort of judge justice outside of this life, then what we will tend to do as human beings is we will take that into our own hands. I will get justice. And there's this really great Croatian uh, um, theologian named Miroslav Volf, and he wrote a really powerful, profound book called Exclusion and Embrace. But in that book, he talks about being from Croatia and being in this place where it was just ravaged by war and, you know, people taking over all the time. That what he noticed is that people, when they experienced injustice, they would take justice into their own hands. And so they would go and then just kill the people that killed them. And then guess what happens is the people that they killed, they, they want justice. So they come back and kill more. And you see what, that, what happens is you take justice into your own hands and it causes us to just wreak well, what it causes us to do is create hell, hell on earth. And so belief that there's something outside of this life, belief that, we, that justice is going to get done, and even if we're not going to see it in our lifetime, but that on the, on the backside of this life, that, that God is that he's a God of justice and, and, and all things will be made right again. You know what that actually does? It actually makes for peace. You want peace on earth? One of the ways is to believe in heaven. Because when you believe in heaven, then you don't have to feel like you have to take that vengeance into your own hands. Because you can release it. And you can say, I'm going to release this, and I'm going to put it in God's hands. The God who is ultimately just. The God who will make all things right. It will cause peace. All sorts of reasons why. It's important that, uh, that we believe that this life isn't all that there is. Because believing the alternative causes lots of problems Lots of moral problems, lots of philosophical problems. But I want to bring you to the scripture this morning because Paul is in the context of a writing to a group of people in Rome. And these people in Rome know exactly what it's like to be persecuted. These people in Rome know exactly what it's like to uh, be Christians and be persecuted for their faith. He's writing to people who have had sisters and brothers and aunts and uncles and fathers and mothers and daughters and sons who have been abducted. And he's, he's, got, he's writing to people who, because they're Christians, are taken and thrown into the arena to be torn apart by gladiators and animals. I mean, he's writing to people who have experienced pain and trouble and listen to these words, because what Paul's going to say in Romans 8, which, by the way, Romans 8, so dense. It's probably one of the chapters that have been, theologians have talked about maybe most um, in the New Testament, because it's just filled with so much. Paul is going to just say something astounding here, and he's going to point us to, uh, to, to and he's going to start to give us language to, for us to understand what heaven is all about. So listen, here it is. It's Romans chapter 8. Here's Paul writing a group of people. And listen to what he says first here. This is astounding. He says, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Let's just stop right there. That's a, that's a profound, faith-filled statement. I mean, see what he's saying? He's saying that our present sufferings. Paul, do you know like how much these people have suffered? You know how much these people have lost, Paul? Are you like minimizing that suffering right now, Paul? He's like, no, 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 listen, I'm juxtaposing it. I'm, 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 we're putting it into perspective. Paul's saying that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. And uh, I've used this illustration before, but I think about it sometimes when I think about like what a belief in heaven does for us here when, when we're just experiencing trial, when we're experiencing just our lives. Just picture this. Picture two people who get hired for a job. And they've got, they, get, they both get given a desk, and they're in this room with no windows, and the air conditioning you know, doesn't work. 
and they're in and they have to just day in day out like 10 hours a day just do low grade clerical like sorting paperwork you know like that's what they're doing all day long and they both have the same desk they both have the same job but here's the difference is what if you go to one of them and you say hey at the end of this one year of you doing this 10 hours a day I'm going to pay you a thousand dollars and then you go to the other person and you say, hey, at the end of the year for doing this every day for 10 hours a day, I'm going to give you a billion dollars. So that's the difference. And what do you think the difference is going to be in, like, in, in, uh, in, in the job performance at work? <laughs> you go in a month later and talk to this person over here. You're like, how's your job? And they're like, ugh. It's horrible. It's terrible. And you go to this person over here who's going to get a million do- or billion dollars at the end. And guess what? They're like, not so bad. It's not so bad. I can do this. I can do this for, for a year. I can do this for seven more months if it's going to mean like I get a billion. You see what I mean? We're like, man, if you, if you know that there's, man, that there's something on the back end, then, then when you juxtapose that with what you go through, what we go through, what humans go through in this life, it's, it gives us this perspective. And there's this great, uh, this great quote by St. Teresa of Avila. She says this. She's famous for saying this. She says, in light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night at an inconvenient hotel. I like that quote. That quote frustrates me, though, too, because I feel like it's a little bit like minimizes your suffering and your pain. It's, I, I don't um, suggest that you go to somebody who's in the middle of, of grief and say, oh, don't you worry. It'll all just be like you're staying in a bad night hotel, you know? Like, don't do that. But you see her point, though. Do you see her point? She, she's making a point here that we gotta, we got to take in. She's saying, man, when you, when you juxtapose our present sufferings with, with, with heaven, oh, my goodness, it's, it's just we're just not going to have categories for it. But Paul goes on. He says this. Listen. He says, for the creation, the creation, the universe, all of creation, and not just talking about us, but the creation, but the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the, the, the creation, for the universe, was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it. <laughs> what does this mean? Um, here's what it means. Here's what I think it means. Is, see, God, God creates the world. And let's go back to just Genesis 1 and 2. God creates the universe, and he calls it good. It's good, it's good. And he creates mankind. He creates humanity. And what he creates is he wants to create managers. He wants to create not just, not, not slaves, but, but friends, managers, partners. That God creates the world and he gives them a job to do in the world. He says, listen, I want you to take this thing that I've created and I want you to manage it well. I want you to manage it in the way that, that I say that it should be managed. And if you do that, Man, things are going to thrive. Things are going to be good. He wants us to steward it well, to cultivate it well. Um, and this is what happens when you take something that's made for something and you use it for the purposes it was created for. Okay, so um, think about Toy Story, right? Where they're they're created to be played with by Andy, remember? And when they get and when they're not played with, I mean, they feel like something's something's lost inside. And so when they're playing with Andy, it's like it's like this is what I was made for. I did some rummaging, uh, rummaging around backstage earlier, and uh, and I just like I, I found this you know this random this random thing. Now if I was an alien and uh, you know and I found this, or if like I didn't know what this was for. And it didn't have any instructions. I mean, what would I assume? Like, I would take this and I'd be like, well, 
This could be for like, like beating people with, right? Um, I suppose I could use this to like make guacamole, you know? Um, maybe, you know, like what am I supposed to do with this? And so if you don't know what this was made for, then obviously you're going to sort of use it in ways that it wasn't designed for. And essentially then this piece of equipment will be subject to frustration, right? Because it's not being, it's not being used in the way that it was, that it was designed. Um, uh, anybody play basketball here? Anybody basketball players? All right, I see some hands. I see some hands. Here, take that. So glad I didn't kill anybody. All right, here, pass it back. See, see here's, here's what I know. If you're a basketball player, those of you that raise your hands, when I toss this ball to you, this ball is love and life because it's going to get used for what it was created for. Now, I got to be honest. When this ball is in my hands, it is subject to frustration. <laughs> Big time. I mean, this is, I mean, it's, it's groaning right now. I mean, it's like it does not want to be in my hands because it's not going to be used to what it was made for. It's not going to be used for its purpose. And so God creates the world, but yet, and he wants us to be partners in it, but yet, but yet it says here that the world has been subject to frustration. It's subject to frustration. Why? It's because we as human beings, as managers, have not done a good job. Just look at what we've done with the place. Give us a Yelp rating on how we've done. Because here's where it all went wrong. Is that is God says, listen, I want you, I want to be, I want partners and I want managers. Can you, can you be on board with this? And what we essentially said in Genesis 3 is no, I don't want to be a manager. I want to be the owner. I want to be in charge, God. I don't want to manage your thing. I want to man, I want to own my thing. And when it when it's put in our hands, when the universe is put in our hands, it is subject to to frustration. It does, it's not working how it was made to work. So why did God do this? Why did God subject the universe? Why did he let it be uh, managed by poor managers? Why would God do that? It says this. He, Paul just keeps going. Listen, he says, he says that it was subject to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. In hope. There's a hope. In hope that the creation itself would be liberated from his bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. What does this mean? That there's this hope that God subjected the, the world to frustration under our leadership. We're bad managers, but there's this hope. There's this hope. And the hope doesn't lie in God just like burning up the world and destroying it. It's like if you have a famous re- or like a, if you have a favorite restaurant in town, we've all had this experience where you have a restaurant that you love. I mean, it's just the greatest restaurant. They do great food, great service. But then like it changes ownership, you know, like it changes hands. And then you start going back and the, the nachos are not as good. They're cutting corners on those nachos, you know. And the service isn't that great. And, and you know, and the, the parking lot's kind of dirty. And the bath, oh, the bathrooms, you know, like, oh, they're not clean. And so, you know, so what's your first thought when you look at the restaurant now that, that isn't living up to its potential? Your first thought isn't, hey, let's burn this place down, <laughs> right? I hope that's not your first thought, all right? If it is, let, we'll pray for you after service, okay? <laughs> your first thought isn't, let's just burn the place down. No, your first thought is, no, this place needs a new manager, this place needs new management. And, when, and the hope is, is not that God's just going to burn it up and start fresh, but the hope is that God's going to do something where it gets, it gets new management. 
And whenever the, whenever the Bible uses words like liberated and bondage, it's supposed to. It's supposed to remind us. It's supposed to take our minds. It's like a hyperlink on an email. It's supposed to like take us back all the way to, it's supposed to, we're supposed to think of the Exodus. We're supposed to think of the, of the Israelites who have a poor manager. His name, his name is Pharaoh. And what happens is God comes and he, uh, uh, he gives, he, there's a new manager. Moses steps onto the scene and God leads and guides them and they're liberated from their slavery. That this is, we're starting to get a picture of what the, pic, what the, what the imagery of heaven, that looking through the resurrection, that what's supposed to happen is that God is going to do something to where this world finally is going to be, be run how it's supposed to. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be how it's supposed to be. And it's because God's going to, like this new management is coming. And who... Who, is there a person, maybe in the New Testament, this person who shows up, who is like the forerunner? He's like the person who that we were made to be but have failed to be. And it's like he's this person that's going to come and he's like the picture, the image, the, the, the new manager that's come, that's going to make all things right and show us how to be images of God in the world, how we were created to be. Who, is there a person like that? Yeah, his name is Jesus. Jesus shows up. And he's the picture of this new manager that we, that we get to sort of, we get to become like him. It, it goes on. We don't become him. We become like him in some beautiful ways, in the ways that he created us to be. Um, he goes, uh, the, the, Paul goes on, and i gotta, I got to bring it down here. He says this. He says, we know, this is verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning. See, it was subject to frustration. And now the universe, what's been, what's been going on in the meantime is that there's been this groaning. He, used, he switches metaphors. And he says there's a groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to this present time. Pain of childbirth, groaning. This word groaning, the first time it shows up in the Bible is in Exodus where the Israelites are groaning under the weight of, of slavery. And it's this word, it's this, it's this Hebrew word, uh, called the, this is how you pronounce it, anach. Anach. You have to kind of clear your throat at the end of it. All right? Try, just try it with me. It's fun. Maybe your throat needs it. Anach. Anach. And you know what? Every language has one of these words. It's called an onomatopoeia. You know, it's, it's why is that funny? That's, not, that's a real word. An onomatopoeia. All right? You guys have heard of these words. It's a word that like sounds as the same thing that it's supposed to communicate. You know? So like it's words like croak, hip, hiccup, splash, sizzle, ping pong. Oink, roar, chirp, zoom, bang, beep, meow, you know? <laughs> every language, every language has these words. And anach is one of those words. It's supposed to sound like a groan. That the Israelites under the weight of slavery are there. Anach. They're, they're groaning. They're groaning. It's this word that's supposed to s- communicate what, what the feeling. And it says that the universe is anaching. It's, it's groaning. But then he uses this really cool illustration that it's this groaning that happens. It's almost like childbirth. Now, I admit, guys, that I should just stop talking right now, okay? <laughs> I should just stop talking because I, I have not, I've never been pregnant and I've never given birth. But I have been present at three births and in just a few short weeks, uh, it'll be my fourth, okay? So I've been there and it's, it's pretty intense, I got to tell you. <laughs> It's pretty wild. I remember our first, 
Our first, uh, our first child, Jeremiah, I mean, you know, it's our first one. And, uh, you know, it was wild. I mean, you're just like not sure how you're supposed to feel and not sure what you're supposed to do. And, like, people are running around and it's like, oh, contractions and we're all going to die. You know, I mean, you're just <laughs> running around like, are we going to survive this? And, and, you know, it's incredibly painful, right? I mean, it's incredibly painful. So much pain. But yet it's like, but yet through that pain, there's, a, there's something new. It's a new life. And what Paul does with this illustration here to try to get us to understand the new creation is, is brilliant. He says, what's happening right now, the, the universe is, is we're not being, it's not being managed well. We're not, we're not uh, you know, doing what, 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 we, what we should do. But Jesus has come. He stepped onto the scene. He's paved the way for us to be able to, to be these sort of, these sort of this new humanity. And the, and the church of Jesus Christ is supposed to be like a, a foretaste of it. We're supposed to represent Christ and be this new humanity. If you remember the, the drawing that I drew last week. But that, uh, but that this, is, this is the vision that we have. And in the meantime, though, that there's this groaning. That the world isn't how it should, should be yet. And it frustrates us. But yet, it's the kind of groaning like childbirth. Because through this groaning, something new will happen. Something beautiful will happen. Something that just will just blow all of our categories will happen. And then Paul finishes it, finishes it like this. He says this. He says, not only so, not only is the universe groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait, listen, eagerly for our adoption to sonship, listen, the redemption of our bodies. Wow. This is that we groan. We are groaning. And you know what this is like. In fact, in fact, when you become a Christian, you're groaning intensifies. Because when you become a Christian, you actually now have this viewpoint that this world isn't how it should be. And you look around at how the world is, and it causes you actually to groan more. Every time you see the news and there's another school shooting, you groan. We groan. Every time we hear, we, we, we just, we turn on the news and we anach. And that's the sound you make. You, you open up your app, your news app, and it's like, ah. We groan because we know what the world could be. And so if, if, if you don't want to groan, don't become a Christian. If, if, if you're on board with following Jesus, then just be prepared. You're going to groan. There's going to be this groaning. But what, are we gro- what, like, what, what happens on the other side of this groaning? Here's what happens. Here's what happens. Is Paul says it. He says, we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship and the redemption of our bodies. The redemption of our bodies. Listen, I'm going to land the plane here in a second. Band, be ready. We're going to sing a song. We're going to take communion. We're going to come and take the bread and the cup this morning. Um, but Paul right now just gives us a glimpse of heaven. And maybe you didn't see it. But it's a picture of heaven where we get the, this redemption of our bodies. These bodies. That, they become, that they're made new. Next week, we're going to look at uh, a passage of scripture from Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where the whole chapter, he just unpacks this crazy idea of like new bodies. Oh my gosh. It is dense. It is beautiful. We're going to unpack that next week. But listen, um, 
the universe needs a new manager. And what God is going to do is he's going to come. He's going to liberate it. It needs to be reborn. We need to be reborn. And the first sign, the first glimpse that we have is Easter morning, the empty tomb, the resurrected Jesus. That's the first glimpse that we get. It's a foretaste, but it's also confirmation. It's also a guarantee that all is not lost, that no shipwreck needs sink you. Because God's going to make all things new. And in the meantime, we groan. But we groan not as a people who don't have hope. We groan as people who have deep, deep hope that the resurrection is true. Here's what I want to do with us as we close. Is, uh, I, don't know, I don't know where, where you're at today. I don't know how you, how you found yourself today here. I, uh, I, I have a feeling that all of us in some way, shape, and form are groaning. That there's a groaning that's taking place in, in you. Um, maybe you've tried to avoid that groaning. Uh, maybe the, the route that you've taken is you, you don't like that feeling. And so, you've, and so you've tried to mask it. Maybe you've used alcohol to do that. Maybe you, you used pornography to do that. Maybe you've used um, other people to maybe use power and control to do that. I don't know. But maybe the route that you've chosen is you just sort of, you don't like that feeling that the world isn't what it should be and you don't know what to do with it and so you just try to mask it. And maybe could, would, would today, would you just have eyes to see that it's not going to help, it's not going to help to try to mask it. The only way through it is to stare it in the eyes and just acknowledge that there's this groaning. Of course there is because this world isn't made new again. But God's at work, and he's, and he's doing it. He's doing it in our midst, in little pockets, in little places. The God, God's kingdom is coming. Uh, maybe, maybe you just have a deep groaning because you just are experiencing loss or grief, and it just hurts. I just want to invite you, just whatever, wherever your groaning is, would you bring it to the table this morning? That as we take communion, as we take the bread and the cup, that you would just take that groaning, you would take it to, you'd take it to the table, you take that bread, it represents Christ's body that was broken, the juice, it represents Christ's blood that was poured out for us on the cross. And then you would just come to the table with all of your groaning. God knows. He knows. And this pain that you're feeling, listen, what we know is that God's, there's a, there's his groan is with you. He groans too. He groaned on the cross so that he could experience that all the things that we experience. So he knows you can come to him with it, whatever it is. And you can come to the table and you can just let his body and his blood just kind of fill you uh, in a new way this morning.